Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. Welcome to another episode of the Best Life Podcast. And today I did a joint podcast with Kelly Tennant. Kelly Tennant is an online coach. She is in the relationship person development space, and she has her own podcast called Ceremony Wellness. So we actually kind of ran out of time. So Kelly and I decided let's just do an episode where the two of us get on and we kind of interview each other so that they can both go on both of our podcasts. So this is going to be on The Best Life and it's also going to be on Ceremony Wellness. So we're kind of interviewing each other. So you'll kind of see that in the episode. Kelly is, um, like I said, she's doing a lot of coaching right now and she's in that kind of more spiritual personal development space, but she started out in a more kind of, I would say, more traditionally scripted um, lifestyle where she went to school. She was always a straight A student. She was very driven in in her sports. She was a D1 volleyball player, extremely driven. And then afterwards, she ended up going to school for journalism and very quickly rise, rose in the ranks of what's it called, like television and uh, being a sportscaster, being a broadcaster. And she found that when she was there, she was only kind of revered for her her looks. And it really wasn't about her intellect. It wasn't about being uh, seen for her work. And so quickly after that, she noticed that she was really just living for likes. That's what she called it, living for likes and the affirmation she was getting for her looks and for being, quote, famous. And so it was interesting to hear this podcast. And now she kind of shifted out of that. She's totally not in journalism anymore at all. Uh, but it was a very inspiring uh, story, very inspiring conversation, and I think you guys are going to get a lot out of it. So without further ado, welcome Kelly Tennant. So Jill, something that has been heavy on my heart and my mind lately is this idea of choosing yourself. And I think so often we're so focused on someone else choosing us because we're not full. And so we, we reach outside of ourselves so that they can like fill up that void within us. Mm -hmm. How did you navigate that? Or maybe you still do this idea of choosing yourself and not relying on someone else to do that for you. Gosh, it's such a juicy topic. So I think, you know, I love kind of hearing about your story because I think it's very similar to mine in terms of, I would consider myself to be kind of a recovering perfectionist in a way where like, I think that I always look to outside validation to get my worth. And a lot of times not even knowing that, right? So either through sports or through grades or through um, career or relationship. And so it started, at least for me in my 20s when I was doing figure competitions. To me, it was like, if I just have the perfect body, then I can control how I'm perceived by other people and the, get the approval, the affirmation that I want. And so then it translated into my relationship. So I was married for 10 years and... Um, at that point, it was like, okay, I have this person, they choose me, we fill up each other's gaps. It's And it feels so great to be in that space, right? It's like a puzzle piece. It's yeah. like, I found my like missing link and, and now everything is so great. But then when that gets taken away, then you see like, wow, I really wasn't, I really wasn't full. I really wasn't like, okay, on my own. And of course, if you had told me at that at the time, um, I would have been like, of course I can be by myself, right? But then when it's taken away, you go, oh shit, like I didn't realize how much that was my identity. That relationship was my identity. Being with that person was giving me that sense of self-worth. Mm -hmm. 
and it is, it's a roller coaster. So how did that manifest for you? Was it through sports or was it through relationships? Was it through you know, career? Now that I, now, because it's so prevalent for me now, I feel like I'm looking back and reflecting on my entire life of like, where did this begin? And I think it started for me when I was young and not feeling chosen and acknowledged and seen and understood. And so I was constantly trying to prove that I was worthy and valuable and and that I could be chosen. And this came up big for me at the end of last year. I wasn't feeling chosen in a relationship. And all of a sudden I saw myself as this little girl throwing a tantrum and just freaking out because she wasn't being chosen in that moment. And then I realized when I took a step back, I was not choosing myself. Mm -hmm. And I was so angry at other people for not making me a priority and not choosing myself when I hadn't been making myself a priority. I'm like, well, of course this triggers me. (laughs) Like I have this gaping wound and hole in my body and I just want everyone else to fix it for me and so that's when I had to take a step back and I was like I'm not gonna focus on other people choosing me I have to do that for myself so when you choose yourself what does that look like like is that self-care is that being alone for a time like what does that look like to go if someone's listening to this and they're going that sounds great I am scared I don't know if I can be alone or I do feel like I'm looking to other people or things for validation how do you start that Yeah, I think it's getting really clear if it's in a relationship about why you're in the relationship and why things are triggering you. And for me, I have been such a people pleaser my whole life and I've been such a helper and a rescuer and a fixer. And so I try and like take care of everyone else that I give myself up in all of that. And almost every relationship I've been in has been that. And it, it exacerbates it to a level where I finally realize it's like, I get a slap in the face that says, you've got to get out of this. You're not doing this or anything for yourself at this point. So for me, it's advocating for myself, asking for what I want and consciously choosing myself in moments throughout the day when I would do something for someone else that's maybe not in alignment with me or my values, but I would do it to make them happy so that they would pick me and tell me that I was good or that they loved me. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is, is just advocating for myself and not being scared to ask for what I want and knowing that it might be different than what they want. And that's okay. But I don't have to be in like this service role all the time to take care of others in order to be valued and important. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. It reminds me of one of my early, like I would say relationship mentors said, you know, if someone is in a relationship, it's because they're getting something out of it. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of girlfriends who will maybe complain about the relationship they're in, but never actually do something to change it because on some level they're feeling valued by being the martyr or by being the victim or by, by being the servant or the people pleaser or the person who's mm-hmm. fixing. Mine wasn't so much that. I, I, I think if anything, my earliest role models, especially the females in my life, were very self-sufficient, very take care of your own shit. Like I was doing my own laundry at seven, like all these kind of things where I was just brought up to like, you're good, right? Like you take care of you. I'll take care of me. Like we're all good. Even in my marriage, it was mostly like that. Like we didn't even do laundry together, like stuff like that, that you're looking back and you're like, why that, what, that wouldn't have been a big deal. But there were things like that where I think I was always, if anything, maybe less sensitive to the needs of others. And so that was how my sort of self-absorption, I think, or um, my kind of need for desire manifested through needing accomplishments, needing to be seen a certain way. I need to be seen like I have the perfect relationship. That meant a lot to me, even though I didn't. Um, I need to have the perfect body. Then I can be good enough. I need to, um, you know, get this job or get this title or get this car or like whatever it is to, I needed more status, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, when I didn't have that anymore, like for example, when I wasn't getting up on stage at like 10% body fat anymore, it's like, okay, like, am I fat? Like, do I choose to go down that road of just like liking my body as a normal person? 
And how do I, so it was a lot of like self-compassion work. And then when my relationship went sideways and the thing about betrayal, especially that is the most hurtful is that it's not so much like the sex or anything like that. It's not even, it's the emotional affair too, but it's like that you feel like the person who picked you could pick someone else. Mm. You know, it's like the, like, but I thought we were the one, like, I thought you were the one, I was the one we picked each other, but like, you can also pick someone else. And that feels very, um, like a huge betrayal. And so for me, it was like, okay, if I'm not the one, then I need to be the one for myself. And so for me, it manifested in doing things alone, you know, I know it sounds kind of silly, but maybe for someone listening, you do a lot of things alone, but I hadn't up until that point. So remember I like booked a night at a like hotel in the mountains, like two hours away. And I was like, let me just go see if I can like stay at a hotel by myself and like go to dinner. And I was so uncomfortable. I was like, I'm not going to bring my phone. I'm not going to bring my tablet. I'm just going to like sit at a restaurant, like a really nice restaurant by myself and like just feel odd, you know, and it was fine. It obviously was totally fine. And then I started traveling. I went to Italy for a couple of weeks. I went to Australia for a month. And so I think for me, it, it was like, okay, I need to feel good alone and, and feel like what that's like mm-hmm. to not feel like a loser because no one chose me, mm-hmm. but I choose myself. And so that's how I think mostly it manifested for me. When you talk about you wanted people to see you a certain way, um, especially on stage, I can't even imagine what that was like. The, the, the grueling effort that it takes to look like that in competition. What is it that that did for you? What, what hole was that filling? You know, what's so interesting is because, um, have you ever had a period of time in your life where you were getting a lot of affirmation, maybe even from strangers? Yeah. When I was on TV. Right. Because you were just seen as like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, like you're doing something that not a lot of people could do. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was very similar in that way or in the spotlight a little bit. And I had never had that kind of affirmation for my body at all up until that point. Mm -hmm. And so when I was getting ready for my first competition, people were like, what are you doing? You look amazing. You're so lean. You're so like, and there was just a ton of attention that I had never really gotten before from strangers. Mm -hmm. And I got up on stage my very first time and I won my show and it was like the best night all my friends and family were there. And it was just like this high that I had never experienced before. And it was associated with being that lean and that in shape. And so when I got off stage, no one talks about this, um, but I ended up gaining 15 pounds back in two weeks after the show. Like within two weeks, I gained 15 pounds. I didn't even recognize my physique. I'd spent five months getting ready. So when that happened, where were the comments now, right? Like there was no comments. What am I chopped liver? Like I'm not valuable anymore, obviously. And not only that, but it's embarrassing. People who two weeks ago were like, you look amazing. Like see me now looking this way. I'm wearing like men's large t-shirts like to the grocery store, like hide my body and feeling so embarrassed by that. And so of course you just go back to how can I get the affirmation back that, that I was getting Mm -hmm. do another show. And so then it sent me on this like five-year journey of just doing all these competitions and just hating myself throughout it. And I could be super lean and I'd be grabbing like a tiny, tiniest bit of like a skin fold and calling it fat or like pointing and prodding. And, and so I think that when we do get that level of affirmation for whatever it is, that's the thing where we derive our sense of self-worth and we double down on that. Now, as you're, as you work with women, especially in disordered eating or obsessive with dieting and looking a certain way, does the younger version of you look at this and think like, holy shit, like, I can't believe you're teaching on this stuff. Do you ever think about that? You know, maybe, I mean, I'd be interested in like how you kind of see it. Cause uh, you know, for our audience, they don't, I mean, like, I would just love to ask you, maybe first, if you could share your story, like, you know, just, I know you have like kind of an amazing story and of 
different, lots of different iterations. So can you kind of maybe talk about, you know, kind of like how you grew up, like obviously being an elite level sports and like all of that kind of stuff, just so that people can get a sense of, of that. Yeah. So, and it's funny because I feel like the younger version of me looks at me now and is like, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Proud or or so proud, surprised, shocked, like can't believe it. Um, and for me, it was, I grew up as an athlete my whole life, played volleyball, went to USC, full ride scholarship, captain of the team, got really sick, had misdiagnosed chronic illness for 14 years, um, was originally diagnosed with fibromyalgia, was bedridden, had to quit the volleyball team. Like my whole life was just gone in, in an instant. And then I found functional medicine and Ayurveda and the proper diagnoses. And so I had Epstein-Barr really bad, um, as well as SIBO, leaky gut, um, chronic fatigue, and a bunch of like issues with my microbiome. So it had all contributed to that and had been living with that for so long and trying to treat myself, but didn't really know how I was going about it. Um, and all this time working in television, hosting TV shows, the Lakers, the Dodgers. Like How did you get into jobs. that? Was it because you were in sports in yeah. Los Angeles and it was like, okay, I just know people or like, how did you get into that? That helped. Um, I had always wanted to be on TV from the time I was 10 years old. Why, um, why is that? I hosted the morning announcements at my middle school <laughs> <laughs> and we had like a whole TV station. It was crazy. And I felt like I was at home in that space. I just felt like I could be myself and I I never fit in. I've been six one since I was 12. I was five feet in kindergarten. I was always the smartest in the room, the most mature. I was like the mom of the group and um, I never really got along with kids my age. So I was always looking for like, where could I fit in? And volleyball was one space and then being on TV and on camera, I just really felt at home. And so when I was being recruited for volleyball, I was looking at schools that had broadcasting and opportunities for internships, which is why I ended up choosing USC. And um, right after I graduated, started working for ESPN and it just continued to catapult out of being a volleyball analyst into doing other sports. And then I ended up at Spectrum here in LA doing Lakers and Dodgers. How did that career, how does just because this is so different from anyone else you've had on the podcast, Mm. how does being on television affect your personal sense of, is it a confidence booster? Is Mm. it not? Like, how does that affect you as a person who's like 21, 22 working in these spaces and being like, okay, like how do you derive your sense of self? Do you know yourself outside of that? Or what is that? I would say it's probably one of the most negative spaces you could be as a young woman. Um, because, it's so male dominant. You don't see a lot of yourself around you. You don't feel supported. You don't see how to do it the quote unquote right way or even the wrong way because you don't have any examples around you. You're usually the only woman in a clubhouse or maybe one of a couple in a locker room. And because of that dynamic, it's very cutthroat women trying to take each other down, Mm -hmm. trying to take your job, trying to get you fired, trying to, you know, say poor things behind your back because it is just that like very competitive world. On top of that, most women, and I hate even saying this, but most women in sports television are hired because of how they look. I didn't get jobs because I could speak at a high level about baseball or soccer. I didn't know anything about soccer when they gave me the job. I went and bought soccer for dummies. I didn't know anything about baseball and I got a Dodgers job. Like, how does that happen? Because I was hot. And so that's where I placed all my value and that's where I got all of my attention, whether it was in person at the stadium and men screaming at you or on social media and everyone telling you how hot you are every day. So I 
I mean, I talk about this all the time. I started living for likes. I truly only live to be validated by other people. And as from 20, probably 19 until 27, that's all I cared about was, do they think I'm pretty? Am I the best? Um, How are they talking about me? How many compliments can I get? And that is a really hard place to be, as I'm sure you felt like being on stage and being looked at for the value and worth of your body. No one asked, like, do you know words? No. <laughs> that wasn't a thing. I felt like I was just like sit in the corner and nod and smile. And even I was telling Connor yesterday, because we were talking about how I was like rambling on the podcast and he was like, you know, condense it and blah, blah, blah. And he's giving me all this great feedback. And I was like, you don't understand. I wasn't allowed to talk for 10 years. (laughs) I was paid to host shows in which I did not speak. I had to speak for 15 seconds and then give it away. And no one cared what I said. It didn't matter. And so now I see my value and my worth and I know how much more I have to offer, but it took me 10 years in the business of being told the opposite to understand that there's so much more behind this exterior that everyone sees. And that can't be what I wrap my whole identity in. Gosh, it's so true and very similar to uh, the competition fitness modeling space too, right? And I remember this moment kind of similar. And I want to ask you when your moment was when my ex-husband at the time said, I was like, literally it was one of those times, I was just so obsessed with my body. I'd say like, oh my God, can you see my abs? Like, you know, like my abs coming in. And he just was like, he would be happy to tell me, but he would just be like, Jill. And meanwhile, he's like a doctor and like what, he would just be like, Jill, like you have a master's degree in nutrition. Like, why aren't you sharing that part of your, like, why aren't you helping people through that? Why do you only feel like the thing you can contribute to the world is your body? Mm -hmm. Like, why is that the thing? And I remember at the time I couldn't hear it, but now looking back, I'm like, yeah, exactly. And so how did you kind of pull yourself out of that, right? Affirmation is it feels good, right? Like, so we don't necessarily want to do something else because this is where we're getting our good feels. Mm -hmm. So where was the moment when you were like, okay, this can't be the only way that I feel validated. Yeah. So there was a man, he's a legendary Dodgers pitcher. He's in his late fifties and was like an uncle to me. His name is Oral Hershizer. And, um, he was one of the analysts for our show and we got really, really close. And one day we were at Dodger stadium hosting the pregame show and I walk out and I have this like really cute white dress on. It's like a Sunday afternoon. And he just looks at me and he was like, do you really need to be wearing that here? And I was like, Oral, it's so cute. Like, I love this dress. It's my favorite. And he was like, do you really need to be wearing that here? And everything changed after that. And I started thinking about what am I wearing? How much emphasis am I putting on what I look like? And how much emphasis am I putting on the words that are coming out of the mouth and the research that I do and the preparation and what I have to offer? Because I know I'm really good at interviewing people. I have a natural ability for that, but I don't focus on that. I focus on all the exterior stuff. I basically cleaned out my entire closet after that. I did not wear short dresses or skirts anymore. I chopped my hair off like 10 inches. I stopped wearing eyeliner. My makeup was like 10 times less than it was. And I started really focusing on who I was as a person. And I didn't respect myself up to that point. I didn't like myself. I didn't value myself. And when he said those things, and I've said this a million times and I've said it to him, like you changed my life with that because 
He was trying to help me see what he saw. This amazing woman who is smart and thoughtful and intelligent and hardworking, who is stuck behind trying to be this thing and this person and doesn't know what she has behind that. And I shifted my perspective. And the funny thing that happened is the more I respected myself, the more other people started respecting me. And the players that had been, you know, hooting and hollering and trying to sleep with me, they shut up and started treating me like their sister. Because I respected myself, so I set the standard for how I was going to be treated, and then everyone responded. It was so interesting. That's so interesting. Did you have a moment, like, obviously that changed for you, but did you, when you were moving away from that, was there a moment of, like, feeling scared about, like, okay, like, what is this new reality going to look like? What am I going to be? Will people value me? Will they still value me? Yeah, that happened a lot. The, when that really happened was after I quit my job last year. I quit in March of last year and I had been off social media for five months. I went completely dark. You couldn't find my account and I wasn't getting that daily validation. And that's when I really got scared because I was moving out of what I knew. People weren't telling me how great I was. I wasn't really with anyone except for my ex-boyfriend. And so I kind of felt lost of like, what is my identity now? And what does this look like moving forward? That was really scary. But what it allowed me to see is that there's something else else out there and I can present myself in a new way. I don't have to be this old version of me. I don't really know what the new version looks like, but I know I sure as shit don't want to be like that anymore. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like you almost had like this buffer period a little bit and like time to, you know, I think for me it happened when I started my business because I was like, I can't afford, I literally can't afford to have this much brain space and time taken up with physique endeavors because I need to make this business work. This is really what like my next outlet is. But I also want to be interested in your take on this. I I think if you don't do the real work inside on like your self-worth, that it will just translate into a new area, Oh yeah. right? So then it became how much money am I making? How many readers am I getting, right? So then it became like how many units of this thing can I sell? How many clients do I have, right? And so, and it can transfer anywhere. So like for you, if you had to say, how are you deriving And I don't know as humans, we ever get away from like needing some sort of affirmation Mm -hmm. in some capacity. I read your post about this and I loved it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I say like diversifying your affirmation. So how do you derive your sense of self-worth now? God, that's such a good question. And when I read your post, I started thinking about it. I'm like, (laughs) I don't know. And if we talk about this, I don't know if I have an answer. I, the way I think about this is it starts for me in relationship. So I've always been very codependent in my past and I always wanted to be my person's everything and I wanted them to be my everything. And we like lived in this little bubble and everything was fine. (laughs) I understand now that that doesn't work. And I even struggle with it sometimes. Like Connor has a best friend. Her name is Lindsay. And sometimes I struggle when I know he goes to her for something instead of coming to me. And I have to realize that one is his best friend and he loves her and that's amazing. She's wonderful, but it's a good thing that he goes to her because it doesn't have to be about me. And that is how I kind of play with affirmation and um, I guess getting compliments from people or assurance is I feel really good with who I am. I, for the first time in my life in the last year, I can say honestly that I like myself and I love myself and I love who I'm becoming. And I mean, you saw me have a breakdown 20 minutes ago and it's like, <laughs> it's I'm in the middle of it, yep. but I really like where it's going. It doesn't mean that I don't need other people to tell me good job or I'm proud of you. And I even said that to Connor the other day. I said, I 
don't feel like you're giving me credit for the work that I'm doing on myself and you act like it's no big deal, but you, you've been doing this for 10 years. I just started a year ago. I need you to tell me good job. And so all week has every time I've been upset or like something's hard, he's like, you're doing so great. You've got this. Like, I'm so proud of you with my event coming up. I'm so proud of you. And that feels good. I think it's, I don't need people to validate me so that I know I'm doing okay, but it feels good to feel supported. Yeah, It's like a different intention sure. behind it. So it's, I feel more full. I don't feel empty to where I need other people to fill me up, but there's like, there's like an inch at the top that I would like people to come in to support me with, whether it's positive affirmation or support or love or kind words. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And the way I kind of see it is, at least for me is, especially, and I'd be interested in your take as a coach, I think sometimes we're always so giving, you know, like we're always just like, like, so for example, I'll get tagged on social media with my clients or, you know, people who are my programs. And I'm always like, you're, you're crushing it. You're amazing. Even past clients, right. We'll still come back and, and I'll be like, you're so awesome. Even if we went our separate ways, you know, I'm just like, I'm always in your corner. I'm just like constantly putting it. And that's how I feel. Like I want to be someone who lifts people up and provides possibility for people when they can't see it themselves. Mm. That's always like my goal is, is to show someone what's possible and to be almost a borrowed confidence until they get their own confidence mm. in themselves. But because of that, a lot of times I, it's not that I neglect, but I don't get a lot of that back because we're in a coaching relationship. Like it's not their job to tell me I'm yeah. good, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? It's my job to tell them like, good job, keep going. You're awesome. I can see where you're at. You're almost there. Keep pushing. Like, and so sometimes in my personal relationships, that's when I go, you know, like, I just want someone to tell me like that I'm, that I'm crushing too. Cause I don't know. I don't know where the barometer is. I'm trying to grow my business. I'm trying to grow the things that I want to create. And like, I need someone to be able to like be, you know, in my ex my husband is really good about this. He would always be that cheerleader for me too. And I think he probably didn't feel as supported at the time, you know? And so I do still need someone to tell me I'm doing good. Mm-hmm. Someone who maybe can see, you know, maybe someone close to me or someone who is maybe up here to look down and say, okay, I can see where you're at. You're doing great. Like, you know, that's why I think that's why I'm a huge believer in mentors too. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who can just be that for you. Don't you also, this makes me think of, um, the way we love people. So, loving someone else the way you need to be loved rather than the way they need to be loved. So I was doing that with Connor. I was loving him the way I need to be loved. Are you like words of affirmation? I'm, I'm words of affirmation and quality time. I would say the most. Mm -hmm. And I think I was giving so much to him in the way I needed to be loved, but he wasn't giving it back to me. And I was like, um, what's up? I'm giving all of this to you. And I realized I was doing it because I, that's what I wanted in return, that exact action. And it's so important to understand the way someone else needs to be loved because I see this with so many of my girlfriends, wives and moms, especially they're constantly giving to other people and no one is giving them the words of affirmation they need. And they just feel empty. And they're like, why doesn't anyone do this for me? And part of it is because we don't ask for it. So true. Like I would look at you if I didn't know you. I mean, I look at you and I do know you, but I'm like, wow, Jill's got her shit together. She's fucking awesome. Like so great. So successful, powerful, beautiful, like all these things. She's good. Like totally. I wouldn't maybe tell you that to your face, but why? Like you need that too. You're giving that to others. Why don't you need that? 
but maybe if we're best friends and you don't ask me for it, how am I going to know? Cause I'm looking at you thinking you're fucking crushing it. Right. It's so true. It's like, and, and you have to even know where the missing, where the gaps are for yourself. And that I think, especially as women who, who tend to be competent, you know, independent, it can really sometimes be hard to ask. Cause I know my tendency is I don't complain. I do the opposite. I feel like I'm a burden mm. more often than not. So as an example, Danny J, who you also know is my podcast host and the best life, um, which is, this is the best life podcast. <laughs> so I listening to it. Um, but she, I've been going, like had some things come up recently in my relationship because my boyfriend started school and that has just completely changed our schedule around a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and so there's not as much quality time. And so we're trying to like navigate the first couple weeks of that. And I was kind of talking about with Danny and she just said, you know, I also want to ask you, how can I support you in this way? And I like just burst into tears because mm-hmm. I was just like, thank you. But also like I, I find myself as I'm venting to my best friend, my best friend, I'm also like trying to coach myself up and be like, but it's okay. I'm sure it'll be fine. Like I will figure it out, you know? So I can't just vent and then sit there. I have to always feel like, but how are you doing? You know? And so I find myself catching myself being like, well, let's talk about you. And I'm trying to not do that as much and like, let just my friends hold space for me without feeling as though I'm a burden or like, I'm not also adding to their life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that's hard as I definitely tend to feel like I'm not giving as much in a relationship and I always want to give more mm-hmm. and Danny's the same way. So both of us always feel like we're never giving enough to our own friendship, you know, which is interesting. And so I agree with you. I think asking for it and then being able to receive yes, is the second piece. Why is it so hard for us to receive? Cause I don't, I just, I don't know. I think, I don't know about your like kind of upbringing or whatever, but like my parents split really young and from a young age, it was like, you know, take care of shit. My mom just took care of her shit. You know, she never called in sick to work. She just went to work. She's a single parent. Like, and, and it's such, as much as it's such a great example, the example is also like, don't ask for help. You know, like no one can hand, no one can handle your shit better than you can. It's very controlling in a way. Mm-hmm. And so I think re- like receptivity, is that the word? has <laughs> been a little bit hard for me. I think I, I'm thinking about my childhood. I feel like I was good at receiving then. And then I stopped and I don't know where it is. What keeps coming up to me is coming up for me is volleyball coaches like berating me and criticizing me and telling me I wasn't good enough and telling me all the ways I was messing up. And so then it was like, well, I'm, I can't take compliments anymore because I'm not good enough. And so I always would deflect things like, Oh, great job. That was awesome. And then I would find something that I did wrong and respond back with that. Oh, but I did this poorly. And it's so interesting now to be in a relationship and being open to receiving because I this is the first like healthy relationship I've been in where I can be open to receiving and not get super uncomfortable. It's still hard, but before it was, I was giving everything away and not getting anything back so that I was empty. It's just so interesting to think about being open to receiving and why we fight that so much because it's especially with competitive women we're always like well what more can we do <laughs> right, yes. and I could have done this better and I didn't meet this mark and it's like yeah but what if you're just okay as you are I also have a big um autonomy button and big like freedom button so for me I don't like the idea of owing some something to anyone and so that has been kind of problematic too where I don't want there to be any strings attached I have like a big like I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it but if I take something from you now all of a sudden I'm beholden to something over here 
And, you know, I've had a couple of incidents come up with my parents and like people close to me, like, you know, helping me out or maybe giving me money at a time. And then they, t they bring it up later. And I'm like, I just hate that. So if I ever give to like a friend or whatever, I never give with an expectation. I'm always just like, I'm giving this, that's my value system. We never have to talk about it again. And so I, that's the way I am with people. And I also just, I, I'm very keenly and, and I think there's some dysfunction in there. So I've been practicing with Keith um, like little stuff. Cause he's very good about like, do you need anything, babe? Like, cause he knows if I'm busy all day, he'll be like, Hey, I'm going to be out and about. Do you need me to pick you up? Anything like very aware. Are you good? Do you need anything? And I've been like, no, 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 I'm good. Cause I really am good. But I found myself like just asking for like, like little stuff that like <laughs> I normally would take care of my own, but I'm like, you know what, let me just see, like, as like test a test a little bit. And he enjoys it. And I'm like, okay, that actually does help me out a little bit. And thank you. And it doesn't feel super vulnerable. It's like these small steps mm -hmm. of letting, like letting someone into your, especially even single for a long time. Like I was like, you're holding it down. Like you're the everything, you know, for yourself. So it's been interesting. So yeah, I, the water jug that's behind you, I would, I lived by myself. I can do it by myself. I'm strong. I can lift a giant water jug. It's fine. <laughs> but when Connor moved in, it was like his thing. And I've done it a few times and he's like, why'd you do that? Like, I wanted to do that for you. And I, I find myself doing things cause I'm like, oh, it's fine. Like, I don't want to burden him with having sure. to do this when that actually brings him so much joy to know that he did that for me. Is he acts of service? You know, I feel like he is words of affirmation. We've, we've never had this conversation, which I feel like we should, but, um, I think that he is words of affirmation and touch. Yeah. I don't think he's acts of service. That's interesting. Cause you talk yeah. about like what people, they, they love you the way that they want to be loved, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think we're Keith and I are the exact same. Mm -hmm. We're both physical touch and quality time, Yeah, which is odd. Yeah. Cause that never like, happens. Yeah. Especially when you're both like physical touch, which is odd because if we ever get into some sort of disagreement, he wants to be super close. He's like, come here, let's hug it. Like he wants to hug it out. And like, he doesn't want to talk. He wants to just touch and kiss and like, it's all better. Mm -hmm. And that's where I get like, but we have to speak though too, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> but also like words, right. Communication. Yeah. Um, so it's been interesting to kind of navigate that stuff. I mean, it's, a, I think love languages is a great tool, but I don't know that it's like obviously the, the whole thing. No. Yeah. It's not everything. <laughs> I agree. You were touching a little bit on freedom and I would love to ask your perspective on what, what creating, creating freedom in your life outside of social norms and expectations has felt like for you and where you are in that journey. Gosh, it's, um, it's so interesting. I think we're a little bit in a bubble because we're in Los Angeles. I think there's uh, things are just a little bit less conventional here. Mm -hmm. um, but when I was living in North Carolina and when I was married, it was a smaller town in North Carolina. Pretty much everyone was married with kids, mortgage by 30. Um, so being single in that town to me felt really odd. And besides, we decided that we didn't want to have children. Um, and also being an entrepreneur, I think there were a couple of things that felt a little bit risky at first. Being in Los Angeles, I think people are much more open to different types of like what different lifestyles will look like. I think for me, um, the biggest challenge has been owning some of the, the unconventional ways I've lived my life. So what I mean by that is like talking about infidelity openly, you know, I think that's pretty, like a lot of people haven't that more and more people are talking about it now, but when Danny and I started talking about the best life, it was very much like this kind of taboo, kind of like there's a huge stigma around it. People had questions, you know, where you don't have enough sex. Like there's all these kind of questions that a lot of people are thinking about, but no one's really talking about. And so that's what we've tried to do with The Best Life. But we did an episode on the courage to live an unconventional life. 
And what I found is we're all really scared, but there's an opportunity and the opportunity is in ownership. So even if I'm doing something that is not traditional or it's unconventional, um, I even if I don't fully have the conviction of like, yes, I'm gonna do this thing and be the example online, I try to just own it. I try to just be like, you know what? I'm just gonna fucking own it. And like, I'm gonna try to maybe if there's someone listening or someone watching or someone consuming this content who is a little bit scared to be that person, that they see me owning it and they're like, okay, well, Jill, you know, is putting, like, I'll give you guys an example. I love this example so much. My friend, uh, Nagar Fanuni, do you know Nagar? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so she's a good friend of mine and she started off her business. She was doing a lot of body positivity stuff. This is years ago. And um, I remember this one time she put on social media, it was a boomerang of her ass and a thong and it, and she jiggled it. So it was like her ass and thong and she was jiggling it. And then it was a boomerang of that. And she just fucking put it up on Instagram. And this is like maybe three years ago. And I remember like, I burst out laughing, not because anything was wrong with her body, but because like, I was like, damn, okay. Like she just, that's how confident and owning her like physique that she was. And she wasn't like super shredded. I mean, she's obviously in great shape, but like, she wasn't like, you know, and it was like, wow, you can do that. And that I think was one of those moments in the body positivity moment uh, space that like it gave people permission. Mm -hmm. And so I like being in this no man's land. I feel like we're in, especially for female entrepreneurs, you know, like maybe no kids, like a lot of these kind of like, it's the, it's, it's no one really knows what to do. We're kind of on like the, the edge of it. I think our parents were in that generation of like, you just have this kind of script that you go by mm -hmm. and we're kind of in no man's land. I think it's kind of cool to show that you can just own your choice mm -hmm. and how powerful that is. So for you, I know that you've kind of like shed the like old yeah. script a little bit. Is it scary kind of going off script? Oh my God. So scary. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think that that's like the majority of my tears right now is the going off script and doing things that are so new and don't fit inside this perfect box with the bow on top. And I, I just wanted to be perfect and do things right and make people proud. And I had this idea of what that looked like and my life is not becoming that. It's very different. It's, what did that look like for you? Or what was that kind of vision? I mean, I thought I'd be married with two kids by 25 and I'm 31 now. And I thought I would, you know, be a big TV host. And my goal was to like, I really wanted to go to Good Morning America. I wanted to get out of sports and get into morning television. And I, I think a more conventional, being a TV host is not conventional, but in that space, a more conventional um, go to work every day, work for someone else, have a husband and children and, you know, the white picket fence, that whole thing. I really thought that's what it was going to look like. And I, I wouldn't, I would say I'm a curious person to a point but outside of that, I wasn't adventurous. I wasn't playful. I didn't have a lot of fun. I sexually was very shut down. And so everything was very just kind of the same over and over again. And um, very much a routine. Life of a routine is what I think I, I was going to live. And now my life is anything but that. So that's certainty, right? Yeah. That's security and certainty. As Which I know is what I happen. need because right. without that, I feel unsafe. So true. Yeah. 
And so now I feel extremely unsafe (laughs) in like all the best ways. I actually feel very safe, but I feel unsafe and unsure of what's going to happen. And I'm with someone that is extremely curious and adventurous and thinks outside the box a lot and challenges me in a lot of ways to explore what else is available to us in our relationship and our living situation and moving away and um, having a house and kids, but going about it in a different way that is maybe not as conventional. And I'm not totally sure what that means, but questioning things because both of us had childhoods that not that were bad, but that we would like to do differently and we see what they were. And I think we want to make adjustments and grow from them. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't a lot of questioning going on in my childhood. And I, I question a lot of things now and what I believe to be true and what I want for my life. Right. Which is scary because there really isn't a precedent for what's that supposed to look like, you know, being like a woman in her thirties, you know, unmarried, like maybe you location independent work on the internet, right? Like we don't know. Most of my friends are female entrepreneurs who own their own business, who, um, you know, maybe do have children, but it's not everything for them. They have like a career that they're working through, you know, they may or may not be in a relationship. There's just a lot of rules that we don't have to abide by anymore. And so there's not a really a precedent for what it's supposed to look like, mm-hmm. which I find very exciting. I think it can be really scary too, but I kind of like that we get to set a precedent or get to even set an example for people who are maybe a little bit more traditionally minded. Well, and it's like you were saying earlier, it's about giving permission, right? I think that's what yeah. I'm sure your show is the same way. My whole show is about giving other people permission to ask questions, to think outside the box, to say, oh, there's an alternative way to healing. I don't have to take a drug or, oh, I can have sex in a different way and it's okay to ask for what I want. I, I, this is how I got into podcasting is listening to podcasts that gave me permission to explore and to actually be who I wanted to be, not who I thought I was supposed to be. Yep. And it's so important to have examples like that, that say it's okay to do this thing that you think is so bad and wrong. Yep. It's, it's fine. I think that our podcast, and maybe yours is the same way, because our podcast is so raw and like so real. I think it's like, I think it's like driving by um, an accident on the freeway. Like you need to look at it. Like people like are addicted to the podcast, but it's so they almost feel wrong listening to Mm -hmm. it. They're like, Oh my God, is this like, it's, there's a a stigma around a lot of this stuff. So it was funny. I was interviewing yesterday for the best life. Um, this dude named Bobby Maximus, he's a UFC fighter Mm. and like he's, Um, but he talks a lot about toxic masculinity and it was a really cool conversation because he's like such a huge, massive dude. And he's on the side of women in that, like that capacity, if there is a side. Um, so we had a conversation about that. And after we had the conversation, he, we were talking about masculine and feminine and, you know, different energies and like, what are the traditional gender roles and stuff? And he said, you know, I really love your posts, but one of the things that you said last week or a couple weeks ago was that you enjoy sex. And he goes, and I found myself going like, whoa, like, you know, it almost, but if a dude said that online, I'd be like, of course, like he's, you know, he's a stud. But like if a woman says I enjoy sex or I like a lot of sex, it's like, is she a slut? You know, and he found, he's like, I found myself like going, oh, like, is that, is that even okay to say? And I was like, of course it's okay to say, you know, so I think we're up against a lot of these traditional ways of being as a woman, you're supposed to fall in line, not supposed to talk about sex, not supposed to enjoy sex. I mean, like, if you're not enjoying sex, like, why are you having it? What are we it? doing? Like, yeah. what are you literally doing? <laughs> but I think it's always we default to, like, the dude. As long as, like, he's getting off, then I guess, like, mm-hmm. it's good sex, right? And so when you come into that space, it can feel really scary because there isn't someone saying, or there's not a lot of people saying, you know, the new way of doing things. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're the first generation to just 
live outside the box to be honest yeah yeah it's funny you say that with like the the, the car wreck I feel that because I mean Connor and I talk about anal and playing with toys and lots of things that I can't believe that I talk about I sometimes I say things I'm like I sweat while I'm (laughs) saying them and I'm like oh my god did I actually say that out loud I'm pretty sure my parents don't listen to my show anymore because it's just like gone that far but it's this idea of I felt like I had to talk a certain way and be a certain way for so long and to now have the freedom to have conversations and realize that everyone else is thinking the same stuff The things that are in my head that I'm like, oh my God, I have to stay under the covers and keep this in my little box because I'm going to be so judged. Everyone else is thinking the same (laughs) thing. I'm just willing to say it. Yep. And they would never say it probably, which I get. They love listening to it and they want, and they, cause I just think we all want to feel valid in our like weird, you know, traditionally more (laughs) unconventional Mm -hmm. ways of doing things, you know? And so I'm curious because you've said a couple of times now that you just felt like you had to be this certain way, do these certain things. Did you have an awareness of that at the time? Did that feel stifling to you? Like, did it feel out of alignment? I think sometimes what can happen with people is when we're going through and we're living someone else's script, right? We're living someone else's kind of idea of what we should be doing. We, it feels safe, Mm -hmm. you know, and we don't know that we're doing it until we have that moment of waking up. You know what I think my moment was, was getting chronic illness. I did not know that I was doing this. I knew that I was a perfectionist and a control freak, like totally clear on that. (laughs) But I did not know, um, I did not know I was living inauthentically. And I truly believe that I got sick because my body was trying to tell me we're not doing this anymore. And it's why I ended up leaving my job. My body shut down and I couldn't function at all. And it was a way of my body saying, we're done doing this. And I think sometimes, especially for someone like me, it takes that really deep root awakening to actually see the truth. I, I just did what I thought everyone else wanted me to do. I thought that's how everyone lived. I had no idea that there was like another way to be. I didn't know that you like could break the rules and do the wrong thing. I, I mean, I didn't drink in high school. I didn't lose my virginity till after high school. I never partied. I was straight A student, full ride scholarship, one of the top players in the country. I, I literally did everything right. I never got in trouble. It was stupid. And then all of a sudden my body shut down and then I was exposed to other things and I started questioning everything I believed. And I was like, there's a life outside a box I was living in and I had no idea. That's scary. It's very scary. But I think a lot of people go through that. I think the, oh, I think everyone goes through that at some point. You know, I think a pivotal moment, at least for me, was seeing the humanness of my parents too. Mm. Like, because I think you just grow up and you just think like, okay, they're older than me. They just know better, right? And so how many times you ask your parents something that's because I said so, because I say so, because I said, and like, and I think when I started to see some that my parents also didn't really know mm-hmm. or they didn't really question things, I was like, oh, no one knows actually. You know, and like no one actually knows the right way to do things. There's the safe way of doing things. And then I think for me with the the fitness stuff, that was the first iteration of doing something unconventional because I just loved fitness so much growing up. And I was uh, I was an athlete and then I taught aerobics and I was personal training all through college. And so I became an exercise science major. And I remember my parents were very they're very conservative, very business minded. And they were like, well, are you going to be a gym teacher? Like, what is that? Like, what are you doing with that degree? 
And I remember being like, I don't know, but I can't do anything else. And that was a moment of like kind of breaking the mold. I don't know what job you get from this. I don't know like what, maybe I'll go on to get um, a degree in physical therapy or go to medical school or whatever. Those are more like traditionally accepted jobs. And I just didn't, I couldn't. I like, I remember I booked the GRE to take and I was like, I just can't go. Like I just cannot go to one of those places. And I remember telling my parents, I was about 24 at the time. And I was like, hey, I'm actually not applying to PT school. And they're like, well, what are you doing? And I was like, actually, I'm getting ready to get up on stage. Uh, And you don't know what that is, but you get really jacked and uh, you get up on stage in bikini. It's like weird tan on and wear these like stripper heels. And like, they could not fathom it. And I remember just sitting there, we were at dinner and they were silent. That was that moment of like, I'm going totally off script. I'm going totally away from, because up until like high school, even college, there's, there's like a script that you follow. There's not really many other things in the menu, but then it was like, okay, I'm 24. Like, I'm going to just be a personal trainer and like, that needs to be okay. And they were, they thought I was on steroids. Like they thought all of these things, right. They just didn't know. Right. Um, and so I think that was a moment where I was like, okay, I'm totally going off script here. And like, I'm going rogue and I like, I'm not going to get there. I'm not going to have their support anymore. Mm-hmm. That was really scary to disappoint them, you know? And so then it was just like, okay, well, I guess I'm on my own. I was lucky enough to, that, to have my ex-husband at the time who was very um, autonomy driven and very kind of independent in that space to kind of like show me the ropes a little bit and to encourage me when I was really scared of like going off um, off the path. Um, but I think we all have those moments. Well, yeah. And I, I think that I feel like we both kind of went aggressively about it, which I understand. That's kind of our, our nature. Um, and I get questions about this all the time. Women, my whole thing is being wild and free now. And women always message me, I want to be wild and free like you. I just want that freedom. And I don't know how to get it. And it's so overwhelming. And for me, you don't have to do it the way I did it and just quit your job, quit your and, job and go all in and just be a hippie and host a podcast. It's about small steps every day of choosing yourself and finding your own freedom, your own version of what that is. And for some people, freedom may just be able to make one small choice a day that feels more in alignment for them rather than for their husband. Like, I'm going to do this because I want to, not because he wants to. And he wants to go do that. That's fine. I'm going to go. Maybe it's a trip. Maybe you take separate trips and you want that freedom to go to Italy because he wants to go to Australia and you hate Australia. That's fine. But It's just one step at a time. And even in journaling practices, which is something I care so much about, it's like defining what freedom looks like to you, but then feels like in your body. And how can you create more of that in your life so that you have this, this everyday feeling of knowing you're doing it for yourself, you're choosing yourself and you are free in your own way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's so good because I, I think it's so hard to know. Well, it's a practice, right? Like it's a discernment practice. Okay, this over here is more in line with, but that also might be a little bit risky because it's not what my husband wants, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I agree that it does need to be these kind of like small steps where you get to choose you, but you have to have the awareness first, Mm -hmm. don't you? Like, and so that's where like, so if if someone's listening to this and they're going, okay, um, I feel like I'm doing what Kelly was doing where she's just going through and she's on someone else's script and she's following the rules. I want to start to maybe that is me. How do I start to, what would be some examples of maybe a mom of small kids whose husband is making more money than them. And they feel like I want to have that level of freedom. I think it's asking yourself what you want out of life. Like, what does that look like? Because, I mean, I don't have a husband or children, so I can only speak to this in a certain way. But 
to me, it's like we get to a point in our lives where we stop questioning. We're just living because we're just trying to get by sometimes because it's so there's so much happening. It's so crazy. And we're just like, oh, my God, got to make it through the Wednesday. Taking a step back and saying, what do I actually want out of this life? What are my values? What what are the things that really excite me? What could I do without? What's not working? Like that's the scariest question because you have to face it, right? Right. You have to face it. And we don't want to, especially if you're married with kids, it's like you're blowing shit up (laughs) and (laughs) it doesn't have to be blowing it up in a bad way. It can be like, this isn't working because I have no time for myself. My whole world revolves around my husband and children and I'm with them from the moment I open my eyes to the moment I close them. I don't do what I want. And if that's maybe you want your own little Etsy shop or maybe you want to run a multi-million dollar business or maybe you want to write poetry or maybe you love painting and you don't paint anymore and you just want to paint. You don't want to make money off it. You don't want to do anything. You just want to paint. Finding what's not working and getting clear about that and then aligning that with what your values are and what really gets you excited, that I believe is how you find freedom. Because then every day you can go to your husband, you can have a conversation and say, look, this is not working for me. And these are the things that I would love to do and bring me so much joy and would make me a better partner for you. I want to carve out one hour a day where I do the following three things. I take a bath, I paint, and I listen to a podcast and it's all about me. How can we make that work? And if you are in a healthy relationship, your person is going to want you to be full and they're going to want to be full. And maybe you find that for them too. Maybe something's not working for them and they've been scared to bring it up. And now you've given them permission to say, oh, actually, I would love to go golf with my buddies on Sunday. How can we make that work? And then you find a way to have freedom in your own identity, not just as the wife and a mom, but as a person with desires for herself. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting and it's so good. And it's, you know, we've done a couple episodes on clear communication and how to start bringing, because maybe you've been married for 15 years and you don't typically talk like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's obviously, you know, you and Connor in a a great healthy relationship, you guys have started with very clear, very open communication. That's a practice. I think for a lot of people, we don't know that we're not communicating clearly or Mm -hmm. we're scared or walking on eggshells to bring it up. So is there a way that, or have you in the past felt a moment where you're like, ah, if I start bringing this up, it will pull a little bit of a string and now all of a sudden there might be some unraveling that can be like a a legitimate fear. What is the first step if you don't feel like you have that clear, honest communication with your partner? I think it's starting with yourself. And when, whenever Connor and I are going to have a difficult conversation and I know that I'm going to bring something up that might irk him a little bit or might be uncomfortable, I come in very clear and grounded I don't come in chaotic. I don't come in overly emotional. I I mean, sometimes I'm crying and that's just part of the deal and that's okay. It's not wrong. But I try and come in having journaled already about it, having really thought through it and very clear in my style of communication so that if there is a feeling of him with fear or chaos or there's unknown, because you've never talked about this before. Where is this coming from? I don't right. understand. I'm very grounded and calm. And that allows him to be calmer, I think. So if he sees me in that state, I think especially for men to see women in a calm state, that reminds them like, okay, we're okay. Yep. Like it's going to be fine. Yeah. Because they freak out if we freak out yes. because that they need that grounded feminine energy. 
And so having a clear idea of what you want to say and why men really like things to back your stuff up. So if you have (laughs) reasons, like I would like an hour, yeah. yeah, I would like an hour a day to do these things because this is how it's making me feel. And I would love to do this so I could be a better partner and better person for myself. And having a conversation from that space rather than I don't have any time for myself and this sucks and you're not seeing me and I need this. And okay, you're never going to get anywhere with that, especially if you're not someone that has conversations like that often. So I think coming in very clear and calm is the first step. I would, I would say that for anyone, no matter where you are in your relationship. Yeah, it's so good because it is one of those things where I think we don't have the conversations when we're calm because we're good. Yes. Right. Like it's the moments where we're like, oh, like actually I'm not upset. So like, what? I don't need to change anything. So I think it's only in the moments of high emotion Mm -hmm. that we like start, we might as well go all the way, right? We're already there. Like let's, let's list off the things, all the things we haven't talked about in the last five years, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that can be, like you said, a little problematic because then you're, the person's in like defensive mode, Mm -hmm. right? Because they take it personally and and men, and this is a generalization, but they like to fix the thing, right? So maybe if you come already with the solution ready to go, yep, right, like for you. And so I love the idea of journaling beforehand. I think that's really valuable. Yeah, and I think, you know, Connor and I slept in different beds like two weeks ago. We had a huge fight and it was not going anywhere and we rocked the boat real hard. And we, it got to a point where I was like, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. We are not having any clear communication. We're both just upset and we're both yelling and this is not healthy. We're not going to get anywhere. I'm sleeping in the other room and we slept in separate beds and then we woke up the next day and we talked about it and we apologized and we were coming from a very clear, calm place. I think sometimes you're going to rock the boat and we know that. And sometimes it's got to get ugly And I'm, you know, never advocating for any physical harm by any means and no name calling that's not necessary, but sometimes we're going to yell and we're going to fight and that's a part of relationships. But having the wherewithal to take a step back and know when it's no longer constructive and it's not working and coming back when you're calm later, I think that is an amazing tool as well. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's like sometimes something will be, especially if you like you're getting upset about something and you know, I know Keith is always like, what is it? What is it? Like he wants to like make sure yeah. that like he wants to take care of it right away because he doesn't like tension between us. And I'm like, I'll say like, it's something, but I'm not sure on it yet. Like, I'm not sure like what, ex- like, I don't know how to communicate exactly what it is yet, but I will communicate that once I like process. So maybe I'll go work out or he'll go work out. Like we'll do something. And then like later on that night, it's like, you know, here's why I was upset earlier. Here's really what was going on. Cause sometimes you don't really know in the totally. moment. You're just like, why am I pissed off right now? Mm-hmm. What is going on? And so you do have to take time to process. And then, so I'll come back and we'll talk about it. And so I think it's okay to have those times and it doesn't mean it's bad. It just means like you have to decide. Cause if it was up to him, he'd want to like hug it out right there and everything to be good. And like, if we kiss enough, it's like, things are good between us. And so I think taking your time is always a good perspective, but we don't like that. Cause it's, it's, it's not, we don't run out of control, right? We don't like mm-hmm. the discomfort, the uncertainty of not like just in that moment, taking care of it and being all good. Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of, uh, there's power in the pause, I think. Oh my gosh. Our therapist said that this weekend. Oh really? Yeah. We were, <laughs> we were in it and she was like, I feel a pause for you. I think there's <laughs> a lot of power in that. You just take some space. And I was like, pause, what the hell? Right. I don't pause, like <laughs> barrel through, figure it out. And then we paused and then yep. everything was fine after. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's being patient and being okay with the process. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Well, I love this conversation. Me this too. is so good. Thank and we could you. probably do 
another one, I'm sure. Yes. Um, but anyway, where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Yes. We've actually had people ask us to have you on. So this is Aww, good. Oh, that's sweet. I know. Um, so it's at Kelly M Tenant and Ceremony Wellness on Instagram and then just kellytenant.com. Yes. And make sure you guys are checking out um, her podcast called Ceremony Wellness. Um, she had a lot of amazing conversations on there. You guys definitely need to hook it up. So slide into her DMs. Tell much how, how much you love her. Uh, to give her affirmation that yes, she doesn't need anymore. That's but, right. But she will But I'll still take it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so yeah. much, Jill. I appreciate you. Thank you.